Well, good morning again. Uh, we're in week three of our summer series called Choose Joy. And uh, today I want to talk specifically about joy in our faithfulness and would encourage you to think about how those two things can kind of connect, having joy in our faith and being faithful in the midst of that. Now, before we dive into our teaching this morning, I want us to play a game. Uh, it's a game that I'm sure you have watched on television before. It's actually been running since 1964, and the creator was a guy uh, by the name of Merv Griffin. And the way that the show, uh, the game kind of works is that there is a quiz competition in which contestants are presented with, com- uh, with some general knowledge, and then they have to form their answers in a phrase that kind of uh, responses in that of a question. Um, so my family and I growing up, we used to have knockdown, drag out fights uh, over this particular show. And since 1984, it's had the exact same host uh, during the whole time. Uh, he kind of has a, a cheesy mustache and some curly hair. And uh, the name of this show is called what? what is That's right. Jeopardy. That's good. What is Jeopardy? I like it. So Jeopardy. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to play Final Jeopardy right at the beginning. And you've made it. And uh, this is our subject uh, for today is great quotes by great coaches. Okay, great quotes, quotes by great coaches. Um, Now, you do have to make a wager. This is the wager. Um, Whatever money you have in your wallet or billfold right now, including credit cards, um, we're going to use this, and uh, if you lose, it all goes to the church. If you win, you get your neighbor's money, okay? So uh, we'll figure this out. Just joking. Just keep it all there. Now, here is uh, the quote, and this is it. Teamwork is what they were all about. They didn't do it for individual glory. They did it because they loved one another. So what is your response We'll play the music. Okay. And anyone want to just, it's summer, so we can yell it out. What do you guys, anybody know? Who is what? No, close, but that's not it. Who is Vince Lombardi? Okay. Who is Vince Lombardi? Now, Vince Lombardi was the uh, Green Bay Packers football coach uh, for many years. And he actually uh, won what would have been back in those days the Super Bowl nine out of ten years. So think about that. From 2017 until 2027, nine times he would win. And 75% was his winning percentage. He was an amazing coach because he had this ability to communicate to his players to get them to do exactly what he wanted. And some of his pregame kind of speeches are legendary and coaches use them still today. And what's very interesting about uh, his pregame speeches is that Some years, he would use the same speech week after week after week. 
So it wasn't like there was a brand new thing. He would just keep telling them the same thing over and over again to have them own his words. Well, today I want to talk about something that is not new to you, about how I can get uh, more joy filled in the sense of increasing in my faith. So faith is something we talk about all the time. How do we get better in our faith? How do we grow in our faith? We understand that. So it's nothing brand new, but I want to give to you this morning kind of five points in our pregame speech before we have to take the field. Because this week is when you take the field. Tomorrow, uh, when you get up and you go to work, you'll be there and be present. And how do you live a joy-filled life filled with faithfulness in the midst of that? So Paul, the guy who we've been talking about, who wrote uh, the letter to the Philippians, he actually gives us five kind of perspectives of this, five components of faithfulness. And here's the first one. He says, you've got to be convinced of faithfulness. Sorry, I've had to put a clap in there to kind of, you know, pregame speech. So you've got to be convinced of faith, of faithfulness. Now, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, these words. What's the very first word? It is what? Convinced. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. Now the question becomes, what is Paul convinced of? And every time that you're reading scripture, uh, it's not as wise to just pull out multiple verses all over the place as to read the context around a particular verse. And so what is this that he's referring to? I'm convinced of this. Well, if you go back to the verse before, which is always helpful, in verse 24, Paul says this, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul is like, hey, my desire is actually to go to heaven to be with Jesus, but it is better for you guys, the Philippians, that I remain and I keep encouraging you and building you up in your faith. And Paul, and, and Paul was convinced of this. He's like, hey, hey, it would be better for me personally to just go be with Jesus, to hang out with him in heaven. But because of you, it's better that I stay to encourage you in the faith. Now, you might read that and go, man, this Paul guy must have been conceited. I mean, <laughs> how good do you have to be to be able to say, it's better that I stay here than to die and go to heaven because you need me. You need me. But that's not what Paul was talking about at all. He says, I'm convinced that God wants to use me in order to encourage you so that you might be able to share your faith with other people. So he says, so convinced of this, I know that I will remain. You see, Paul realized that the work that was being done in the Philippian church was not fully done yet. And maybe you've heard this phrase before. I don't want to leave anything on the field. My daughter Jordan today, uh, she's in her last soccer game of being 10 and under. And I had a little pep talk with her. Uh, I don't know why I'm emotional. I guess because she's 10. We all are like, geez, she's 10. You know, I'm such a baby. All right. Uh, anyways. So she's 10, and so I always call her before her games, and we're on the phone today, and I was like, leave it on the field. Don't, don't hold anything back. This is the end. She's like, Dad, they're getting ready to get to the field. I have to get there, you know? And I'm like, okay, sis, let me pray for you real quick. We're done. 
But there's something about not leaving anything left on the field. And that's the way Paul was when he wrote to the Philippians. He's like, I, I want to give everything I have and I want you guys, don't, don't leave anything on the field. He would have been repulsed by that. Now, for us to understand faithfulness, we actually have to have this perspective of what does it mean to be faithful? Because there's many different definitions on what is faith and what is faithfulness. And so I want to give you the most simple one that I think uh, would help you to remember when you leave from this place. And it's this. Finishing what I start. That's what it means to be faithful, folks. You actually finish what you start. I mean, if God is calling you to to do anything, he calls us to finish what we start. And yet, there are people all around us who start things all the time, don't they? They start this, they start that. They're like, oh, I'm for you, we're going to... And then all of a sudden, they just don't finish it. They don't finish it out. It was my senior year in high school, and I I went to school at Anderson Madison Heights. And... I played on the basketball team, and the first two games, I got in the game. And I played really well, and I was like, man, this is going to be a great year, my senior year. And then game three came, and this was the position that I was in for the entire time. I sat on the bench. And game three came to game four, game five, game six, game seven, game eight, game nine, game ten, and all I did was sit the bench every single game. And I was discouraged and I was frustrated. And in Indiana basketball at that time, when you get to game 10, the next thing is Christmas break. And you know, with Christmas coming, you think you should have been like getting ready to sing like joy to the world. And I was singing, I want to kill the coach, you know, like that was me. And so I came home that night and I'm frustrated and I'm angry and I'm ticked off and I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to throw in the towel and I walk in and I'm whining and I'm complaining and my dad and I sit at the table and I'm telling about how horrible it is and you know I'm sitting on the bench all the time and he listened the whole time. He never interrupted me once and then at the end of everything he said, Chris, I just have one question for you. Are you going to finish what you start? And then I started thinking, I want to kill my dad. I want to kill my dad. Because all of a sudden, he then goes to bed. And he leaves me that question. Are you going to finish what you start? Well, I tossed and turned that entire night. Because I was like, ah, this is not what I wanted to answer. I wanted to just be able to quit and be done. But are you going to finish what you start? And you know what? That's my question for you this morning. Are you going to finish what you start. What is it in your life that you started, but you just haven't finished? What is it that has become so difficult maybe in your life that you think, I'm not sure if I can finish it? Maybe you're in a marriage right now, and you're uh, in a marriage where there's a struggle that's going on. And if you're from the male perspective, maybe you're kind of like this, I'm just sick and tired of her. She doesn't meet my needs anymore. And there's this little sex, uh, there's this little sexy thing at, uh, you know, work. And man, I mean, maybe I could get the thrill back again. And every time that guys come to me and they start talking about this, I'm like, dude, she just gave you like the best years of her life. 
And she was with you when no one else wanted to be. And now because this little hotty toddy, you're ready to just finish. And that's it. You're not going to finish what you start or flip side. You've been married to this man your whole life, and all of a sudden your life now has become so negative and whiny, and you're like, rah, rah, you don't do anything right. You don't do anything right. Rah, 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 rah. Now, guys have other words for you when you act like this, but I'm not going to mention any of those today. But when that happens, you're like, this guy stayed with you all this time. He's heard all these things about, and uh, are you going to finish where you start? Maybe some of you are in a job right now and they're actually trying to ask you to do something that you know is unethical. And yet they tell you, hey, I'll pay you a little bit more if you do this. And you're right there. Are you going to finish what you start? Maybe you're single and you're here today and you said, you know what, I'm trying to get my life back together. And so um, it's been hard to be single. And so I want to set some boundaries. I want to be able to set some profiles of who I'm going to date and who I'm not going to date, but then all of a sudden Don Juan shows up or, you know, uh, some uh, uh, little hottie there and all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe I could expand this. Maybe I could do this. I could do that. And you're tempted. No, no, no. You promised it to God. Are you going to finish what you start? Some of you, maybe you have a dream or a goal or some kind of commitment that you made to God. It's to nobody else. You made this commitment to God. And the question is, are you going to finish what you start? You see, folks, faithfulness is a very, very important thing to Jesus. In fact, it was so much so that when he was in heaven with his father, who he had been with for eons upon eons, all of a sudden when the time came that his father said, it's so messy down on planet Earth, I need you to leave and go down there. He said, Father, I'll do it, but I'm going to finish what I start. And he went all the way to the cross, all the way to the torture and the pain for who? Himself? He didn't need that. Who did he do it for? You, me. And then he said this, I love you guys so much, that's not even the end. I'm going to rise three days later, and then I'll send back to heaven, and I'm going to promise you something. I am with you always. I am with you always. I'm with you Always. And sometimes when we see, sing songs like we did this morning about Holy Spirit be present, that's what Jesus, his promise was. He said, I'll leave my spirit with you. You see, Jesus finished what he started. What about you? Folks, if you finish the things that you start, God will honor you. He'll bless you. He'll care for you in ways that you would not even believe. Okay, second part of the pep talk. Continue in faithfulness. So we want to have confidence in it and we want to uh, continue in faithfulness. Verse 25 says this, or convinced. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and what's the next word? Continue. Continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So here, Paul basically says there are two purposes to continue in this faith. The first one is this, that you need to progress in your faith. Progress in the faith. You know, so often I think what we perceive is that God's 
number one priority for us is to do something through us. Like if we go out and we do something for God. We go to church. We read the Bible. We care for a neighbor. We go on a mission trip. I need to do something. And God, we we think the priority for God is He wants to do something through us. But the reality is, folks, it's not true. God's not so concerned about doing something through you as He wants to do something in you. Not... Not through us, although he appreciates when we do things for him. But he actually is more concerned about doing something in you. So our focus should be more, Lord, not I'm going to do this for you. It's, God, what do you want to do in me? And yet so often that's the first thing that we lose sight of. Because it's a lot easier, isn't it, to do something for God than to be quiet and calm and open enough for God to do something in you. The Sunday before uh, we started this series, if you remember, the series before that was called Never Give Up. Some of you don't remember that, but that, that's okay. I've worked really hard, but, you know, it's, it's all right. But I'm on the last teaching of that Never Give Up, and I'm praying Sunday morning, and I'm like, God, you know, help, help the teaching today to go well. And God, you know, I'm starting this new series. I've been studying about it in Philippians. And God, I, I want to be more joy-filled at the end of the summer than I am right now in May. And I don't know if you've ever done this before where you're like praying to God. And then all of a sudden your mind goes somewhere else. And then all of a sudden my mind went to this guy who had wronged me. And who had not kept his promises. And now there was some bad stuff happening in his life. And all of a sudden I'm like, yep, kind of deserves to be happening to him. Because God, his character is messed up. He needs help. He needs a lot of help, God. Would you help him? And have you ever prayed like judgmentally before? Where it's another person, so you're like, oh, God, do something in their life because they're really messed up. And so I'm praying like this, and all of a sudden I'm like, God, change his character. Change it. And I became this kind of pious, praying person. But at the end of my prayer time, I always usually take about ten minutes where I just am quiet before God. I set my clock. And I go, God, if there's anything you want to say to me in the midst of this, I'm open to receiving. And this is what I sense. Not audibly in my ears, but just in my spirit. Chris, I'll take care of his character. Why don't you take care of your own character? You know what the next word of the teaching is right now? Ouch. Some guy in the first celebration was sitting right there. He's like, ouch. I'm like, how did you know? You know? You, Chris, you take care of your character. I'll I'll take care of his. And you know what, folks? I am a work in progress. That's what I am. My faith is a faith in progress. I don't always act Christ-like. I don't always have Christ-like thoughts in my head. But I'm grateful for this, folks, that God is patient. Are you grateful for that? That he's like so patient, so patient regardless of what we're going through. Faithfulness is a progress. 
It's a process. It's not a point, but we're constantly working. And you know why? Because Jesus is working on me to become more like Him. Jesus is constantly working on me to become more like Him. And you know what? Jesus is trying to work on you to become more like Him. God wants us to know that it's a constant work. And it's not through us that He's so concerned about. Because if He, if he gets in us and He works in us, the through us part is easy. But the hard part is to open ourselves up that He would work in us. God wants to go into your life like no other person has before. And He wants to do things in your life that you've never thought of. Because this is the truth, folks. He's more concerned about your character than he is your success. He just is. He's more concerned about your faith and being faithful for the long haul than he is your success. Folks, no matter who you are or what you've done, whether you've been a Christ follower for 40 years or you're here for the very first time and you're trying to uh, be open to this whole Jesus thing, God has a purpose and a plan for your life and the good news is you haven't arrived to your final destination. And He will do more and more in your life if you'll let Him. So Paul tells the Philippians, I'm going to continue with you, not so we can play checkers you know, with Jesus until He comes, but so that you can actually progress in the faith. Here's the second purpose that Paul refers to. He says progress in the faith. And then secondly, to have joy in the faith. That's what Philippians is all about. He's writing it to say, as you're going through this thing, regardless of what it is, I'm in prison right now. But you can have joy in your faith. Paul, can, Paul says God can help to increase your joy. Anyone want to guess how many churches there are in the United States? This is what I do in my spare time. You know I don't have anything else to do. There are 350,000 churches in the United States. Do you know how many of them have plateaued or declining? 85%. 85%. Now you might ask, well, why, why are churches dying? Well, this is what I think. I'm not sure. But I think it's because the people inside the churches are actually done. They're not growing. They're, they're, they're still uh, focused on what got them to the faith five, ten years ago, and they're not personalizing it. They're not making much progress. They're not progressing in their joy. And so, folks, uh, this, is, this next quote is free for you, okay? It's not in your... Uh, it's not in your outline, but I'm just giving it to you for free. And here it is. It'll come up on the side screens. If you are not increasing in your joy, then you're not progressing in your faith. Think about that. If you're not increasing in your joy, regardless of the circumstances of your life, then you're not progressing in your faith. Now, Scripture is very clear that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm just talking to the Christians right now, so if you're like here, you're figuring all this out, you can take a break for a second, count the lights if you want to, whatever you want to do, make a funny picture of me. But if you're a Christ follower, this next kind of minute, minute and a half is for you. 
Paul not only wrote Philippians, but he wrote a book called Galatians. And he had this perspective that he wanted people to produce fruit and to live out this fruit, that good tasting things should come out of you. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul shares the different fruits that should be produced by Christ followers. He says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and what's the second one? Joy. Now, we don't know this for sure, but the thought would be that you typically put things in order that you think are most important. So, for example, you put watching television up at the top and you put cleaning the toilet down at the bottom, right? Because you don't, that, that one at the bottom's not important to you. But the ones before, now all these are important, but there's a sense of weightedness that I think Paul is saying. He's saying, first of all, the fruit you should be most in, engaged in producing is love. But then the second one he says, there should be joy. Folks, I don't know if you realize this or not, but one of the fruits of the Spirit is not grouchiness. I have the spirit of grouchiness, grimness, the grim reaper, the Jesus. There are no sad saints. I mean, no one wants to go to a church and be encountered by somebody like this. That's why when people are at the front door greeting people, I'm like, if you're not going to smile, go home. Nobody wants to walk into a church and be like... Or they're actually talking to everybody else. Hey, how are you doing? New people are all walking by. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good, good. Oh, hey, Jim's down that way. No. They want there to be this sense of joy as you walk in. Why? Because this is God's place. Folks, joy is the surest sign of the presence of God in people. You can always tell when God's presence is in a person because they're joy-filled. Even when the circumstances of their life may not be. The essence of faithfulness is to continue in the faith regardless of the circumstances. Because God gives his gift of joy. And we remember what joy is, right? Joy is the assurance that God is in control of the details of my life. And ultimately, everything is going to work out all right. So I'm going to continue to praise him no matter the situation. Here's the third component for our uh, pep talk this morning, our pregame. And that is to have confidence. So you want to have confidence in faithfulness. Verse 26 says this, So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Here, what Paul is saying is that the reason I will continue to work with the Philippians and encourage them is because I want you guys to be enthusiastic and I want you to be fired up for the faith. It's like the whole reason that I'm living now is so that as I'm writing to you, I want you guys to know that you should be fired up and enthusiastic for the faith. Folks, that's what God wants in you. He wants you to be fired up and enthusiastic about your faith. Now, 
Does that mean that you freak people out with your faith? No. You ever had one of those experiences before where someone, people do this all the time with me once they hear that I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, you're a pastor. And I'm like, oh, man, let me tell you about all the good things I've done. I don't care about all that, you know, be real. But sometimes people will freak you out with the faith and they kind of go overboard. They're like, you want to meet Jesus? I love Jesus. I love Jesus. You love Jesus. We all love Jesus. You want to know Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let's get Jesus. Ah! All of a sudden, people are like, oh, I don't want that Jesus. I have a friend of mine who in August will be two years sober from crack cocaine. Yeah, very cool. And he's turned his life around. Christ has really done an amazing work in his life. And uh, he has this person, though, that keeps approaching him all the time and wants to continue to bring up what his past was like. And so she, or, or this person wants to talk about how he just continues to kind of have this past and defines him that way. And this has gone on for several months. And uh, he sent me a Facebook message this week. We were talking back and forth. And he's like, I wanted to punch the person in the face. <laughs> so you never know. So you like kind of go back and you're like, did you? You know? And like, no, 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 no. I, I didn't do it. And uh, there was this sense of like, You know, as I've grown closer to Christ, I've just realized that no one can steal my joy. And so I decided to humble myself and I decided with confidence to actually confront the person. And he said he approached the person not with guilt or shame for what his past had been, but with actual joy that said, I just want you to know I'm still a work in progress. Isn't that weird how God can put things together sometimes? Like that was one of our points and just this week. Hey, I'm still a work in progress. I want you to pray for me and I'll pray for you. And my sobriety has been difficult. And so it would be helpful that if you just not bring those things up because it doesn't help me anymore and I'll have to set some things. But I have new joy now and it's in Christ. And I was so proud of this guy. First of all, that he didn't punch the person, you know, in the throat or anything like that. But he was so fired up to talk about what God had done in his life. And folks, the proud confidence that Paul is talking about in verse 26 is not, look at me, I'm Paul, look what I've done, I've done all kinds of things. I'm a Christ follower, J-E-S-U-S, yes, 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 okay? He's like, that's not the proud confidence that I'm talking about. I'm talking about what Christ has done in my life, and as I share that more, people receive it. Folks, Jesus did not come to planet Earth to point his finger at you for all the things that you've done in your past and to let you know how messed up you are. He actually did this. He says, I want to take your mess and work in your life so that you can be my message now. That your life actually becomes the message 
of what I've done in the midst of it. And so there's this powerful kind of perspective of what does it mean to move beyond the mess and to actually live a life that is honoring unto Christ. Paul is like, I would rather go to heaven and be with God, but it's better that I stay with you guys and I could encourage you all the more. Here's the next thing. Conduct. Conduct of faithfulness. Verse 27 says this. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now the main verb that's in this particular verse is this word conduct. This word to Conduct yourself is like a, a neat little word. It, it comes from a Greek word that is actually the word that means polis. P-O-L-I-S. And we know like Indianap, polis, okay, means city, that you're a citizen of this city, the city of Indiana. And this whole idea was that you were to be a good citizen. And I want to be a good citizen. And the Philippians were people who were very proud of their city. And even though the Romans had come in and they had taken over, they said, we don't care, we're still proud of it. And we'll even take on what it is to be in the Roman world and say they worshipped Roman deities and they pledged allegiance to the Roman emperor. They wore Roman uh, clothes. They even took on Roman names. And the thing that they feared more than anything else is that as they loved this city of Philippi, that for some reason they would not be worthy of the community, that, that somehow they would disgrace the community and then they would have to forfeit their citizenship. And Paul wrote to the Philippians and he's like, hey, I understand you love your city and that's great. It's wonderful. Only let your citizenship be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, live as a citizen who is worthy of the gospel of Christ. The idea was, if you can be so passionate about something that is human, that is just something that's temporary, that is not permanent, how much more should you then be on fire and excited and live a life worthy for the God of the universe who is a son and daughter of God? And Paul says, conduct or live your lives in a worthy manner. But why? I mean, honestly, why should you guys live your life in a worthy manner? Because sometimes when you do, there's no benefit to it at all. And I was thinking about it this week, and this is the reason why. Because God chose you. Out of everyone in the universe, he chose you to be his son or his daughter. One day, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said this, You did not choose me, I chose you and sent you to produce fruit, the kind of fruit that will last. Then my Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Folks, did you realize that Jesus chose you? You didn't choose him, he chose you. And he chose you before you were ever born. You are not an accident. 
Because even if your parents didn't plan you and your relationship with them has been very fractured, God planned you and he chose you to be his son or his daughter. Several years ago, I was invited to teach at the largest uh, church that I knew of in the denomination I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. And the reason that they chose me was not because they thought I was a great teacher, but I was the next person on the list. So they're like thinking about all these names, this one, this one. They're all saying no, 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 no. And finally, they get to my name and they're like, oh, well, he'll fill in for a last minute, you know, just a few days before. And I'll never forget the associate pastor calling me and saying, hey, uh, you know, this is who I am. And we wanted to know if you could come and you could. We had two celebrations, but we wondered if you could do that. And have you ever had that moment where you've been asked to do something and it seems so high that you're just shocked? And this is what I said. Are you sure you want me? And he's like, no, no, no. That's why we called. We want you. And then he went on to tell me, we're going to put you and Jen up uh, in a hotel. And uh, we are going to take care of all of your mileage. And we're going to pay uh, this large honorarium. And I'm thinking, they're doing all this, and they've never heard me speak before. Like some of you would have been like, you could not do some of that. We could take some money back and help you out, you know. We've heard it. Well, this was a great opportunity, and I was so intimidated, and I felt the pressure that was on. I remember the night before, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I just started going over the teaching over and over and over and over again. Now, why do you think I did that? Well, one, I was scared. But you know what? Even more so, I wanted to be worthy of being asked to come and teach. I didn't want to drop the ball and for the congregation to look and go, what a moron, who invited him? You know? Have you ever had one of those experiences before where God asks you to speak or to do something? It might be small, it might be big, but he asks you to do something and then you're left at a moment. He's choosing me to do this now and will I do it or won't I? Now, I share this with you, not for you to be scared or fearful that, oh, if I don't do everything, God's going to be upset. No, 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 no. You do things with God, not because you're afraid of God, but because God's your friend. And if you're a good friend, you don't let friends down, do you? And God is the best friend that you'll ever have in your life. He'll never let you down. And so, worthy of the calling, I want to be able to do this. Well, Paul goes on to say this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent. In other words, he's like, don't put your best front just because I'm coming or I'm not coming. It should be the same either way. Whether I see you or I remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in, a, in no way alarmed by your oppressors. So here Paul is saying that if you want to be worthy, he says, first of all, stand firm. It's an image of a soldier who is at his post and he decides, I will not back down no matter what. Even if I have to die in this spot, I will not back down. 
And you want folks, when it comes to loving people, all people, no matter who they are, we should stand firm. That no matter who comes into these doors, that you and I would say that no matter who they are, wherever they come from, whatever they've done or they haven't done, when they walk in, they are loved by God and we will stand firm in our love for that person. So Paul says, same firm. And then he goes on to say, in one mind, in one spirit, with one mind. Isn't that great? That when you stand firm, you don't stand alone. We actually stand together, bound together as one. And I'm so glad of that. In fact, I can't think of a better group of people that I want to stand with than you guys. Because we're family. And I want to stand with my family. And if, if I even had to die for some, I've thought about this a lot, outside of my own personal family, I would, I would give my life for this place because of the impact that you guys are making in our community. And what Paul desired and what I desire is that in this place, there's unity. We're going to have our petty differences. We won't always agree on everything. But would we choose unity in the midst of it to work through it that we're not going to just let this go. We'll work it out. And in our own, in our homes, what if you guys stop sweating all the small stuff? And instead of getting so overwhelmed by all of that, you'd say we'll be of one mind, one spirit in our family, in our marriages, with our kids. So you stand firm in one spirit. And then he goes on to say, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them. Now, why he's referring to here is a harsh kind of soldier who is moving in on a tender-hearted Christ follower because Christians were being killed during this whole time. It's like this idea of a person standing over you and they're getting ready to give you the death blow. But what would happen so often when Christians were close to being killed, people would be over them and they would see this amazing faith that they were being willing to, to even give their very life for the cause. That people would be reluctant and be like, but I'm the one that's wrong, not this person. I'm the one that has fear. This person has faith. I'm the one who has doubt. Not them. So in no way are we to be alarmed by our opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. You know, sometimes I look at this passage and I really struggle because sometimes I wonder if I'm ever asked the question, either deny Christ or die, would I 100% of the time say I'll die? I will not deny Him. And the thing is, is there are many times that I want my will and not His. But I was thinking that when people are in that moment, there are people throughout this world who are in that moment often. I think what happens is that God, in that moment, you may not have the strength to be able to do this all the time, but in that moment, 
He gives them strength, which is the sign of our salvation, of completeness, of wholeness. And you know what? You can depend upon God, folks. You can depend upon God to be courageous for you. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture that I challenge you guys to memorize, Joshua 1.9, it says this, Be bold and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And folks, God is with you. No matter the opponent, no matter what they say, God is with you and for you. And because of that, we can have courage even when we are alarmed by opponents. All right, last part of the speech. This is a hard one. Is this. There will be conflict of faithfulness. Paul says this, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. You got to remember that Paul is actually in jail. He's in prison in the midst of all this as he's writing. And he says, if you're faithful to God, folks, if you're faithful to God, there's going to be some conflict. Conflict in the family. How many of you, as you've tried to grow closer into your relationship with Christ, have ever had conflict in the family? Oh, you think you're better than us now. Oh, I see. Or how about your friends? Conflict with friends. Hey, guys, I can't quite do what I used to do. Oh, You think you're better than us. You used to do this stuff all all the time, but now you're just church girl, church boy. Oh, okay. Or conflict with coworkers. Hey, man, we're going to go do this. Come on, come on. Ah, You know, I'm, I'm trying to conduct my life in a way that is worthy of the calling of Christ. What? Ah. And you know why conflict happens with people? It's because... They expect you to meet a need in their life that only God can meet. And that's why the conflict comes. Because they expect you to meet some need that only God can. And when you refuse to do that, conflict ends. And so Paul says, you can bank on it, that if you're faithful to God, you're going to have conflict. Well, that is our pep talk, to be convinced of the faith, to have confidence in the faith, to continue in the faith, to conduct your life worthy of the faith, and to persevere through conflict that might happen in the faith. Well, that's your pregame speech. Guess what? The field's waiting for you. And it's up to you this week because tomorrow... Or even before you get out of the parking lot, something's going to change. And where will your joy be in faithfulness in the midst of that? Because I guarantee there's going to be some hardship, some situation, something this week. But you can persevere through joy in faithfulness. 
And we all remember the definition, right? We talked about it the last couple of weeks. It'll come up on the side screen. Joy is the assurance that God is in control of all of the details of my life. And that ultimately everything is going to be all right. So I will praise God in every situation. Well, I'm going to invite our prayer team right now. If uh, a couple people that are on the prayer team, if you guys can come up. And if you'd like prayer for anything, these folks would love uh, to pray for you. Just come on up, whatever it is. We'll turn off the lights here in just a second, not quite yet. And uh, they, they would love to pray for you. But if today is like your day, you're like, man, I just have no joy at all. I need Christ in my life. I, I need to accept him. I need him to be savior of my life. Back in this corner, back here, uh, Chuck Mock is standing, and there's just a little table. And he would love to pray with you, to, to have you accept Christ, to have a moment to encourage you on, to kind of give you a pep talk that, hey, today is the greatest day of your life. And uh, you could do that. So let's stand for closing prayer. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. That in spite of all of our sin and guilt and shame, that you loved us enough to leave from heaven to come to earth. Thank you for choosing to go to the cross, God, so that we could be set free and we could have freedom in you. Jesus, would you increase our faith this week to live a life filled with joy because ultimately you're in control. You know the details. Everything's going to be okay if we'll just hang on. If we can be convinced of your faith. And we can continue in it and we can have confidence and we can conduct our life. And even when conflict comes, God, that we will choose you. God, help us this week to conduct our lives in a way that would honor you, our best friend, so that your name would be made great. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great week, everybody. I know you're loved in this place.